incendiaries, or OBs, hadn't been damaged. Each device contained a mix of sodium chlorate, iron powder, and asbestos, mixed together in two-pound lots and pressed into the plastic boxes. All four OBs were going to be linked together in a long daisy chain by one metre length of fuse wire. Light enough to float on top of oil, they burned fiercely until, cumulatively, they generated enough heat to ignite the fuel tanks in the depot, which lay right beside Zeralda's house. The attack theory was simple. Lotfi was going to cut out a section of the wall facing towards the target house. Hubba Hubba would place frame charges, one on each tank, on the side facing the sea. As the frame charges cut a two-foot square hole in each tank, the fuel would spew out. The ignited obies would float on top of the spillage, burning in sequence along the daisy chain, and would eventually ignite the lake of fuel beneath them. The burning fuel would then disgorge through the cutout section like lava from a volcano. The ground sloped towards the target house, so we'd cut the house off from the road with a barrier of flame. We hoped that our attack would be blamed on the GIA, the armed Islamic group, the cruelest and most screwed-up bunch I'd ever come across. Battle-hardened in places like Afghanistan, Chechnya and Bosnia, they were now back in Algeria wanting an Islamic state with the Koran as its constitution, and they wanted it today. In the eyes of these people, even Osama bin Laden was a wimp. Lotfi checked. Ready? We nodded, and he led the way up to the high ground. The fuel compound, an oasis of yellow light, was just under 200 metres to my half-left, the tanks sitting side by side, surrounded by the bung. To the right of them was a not-so-neat row of fuel trucks and a small security hut. The target house was to the right of us, surrounded by a high wall. It wasn't exactly palatial, but showed that the fuel and teabag business paid Zeralda well enough to have his own little playpen. As we got level with the tanks, Hubba Hubba took off his bergen and fished out the wire cutters and a two-foot square of red velvet, while we put on the black-and-white Czech shemags that would hide our faces when we hit the security hut. Following Lotfi, we moved forwards until we got to the fence line behind the shed. I could hear someone inside, shouting grumpily in French over a monotone Arabic from a TV set. Lotfi held the red velvet over the bottom of the fence, and Hubba Hubba got to work with his cutters. When they'd done, they carefully pulled the sides apart, and I eased my way slowly through. The others followed, and we pushed the wire back into place. As we made final adjustments to each other's shemags, the guard stopped talking and the phone went down. Lotfi and Hubba Hubba disappeared around the corner. I followed, but stayed out of the way, as Lotfi pulled open the door, and the TV commentator was momentarily interrupted by a shouted instruction and the sort of strangulated pleas you make to two weapon-pointing Arabs in Shemags. I saw a sixty-something bloke drop a cigarette before falling to his knees and start to beg for his life. Hubba Hubba stuck the muzzle of his Makarov into the old boy's head, reached for the phone, and ripped it from its socket. There were lots of shouts, and I guess they were telling him, don't move, camel breath, or whatever, but in any event it wasn't long before he was wrapped up so well in gaffer tape he could have been a Christmas present. The two of them walked out and closed the door behind them. We headed for the tanks no more than fifty metres away and got on with our tasks. 
I laid the four obies in a straight line on the ground as Hubba Hubba and his mate assembled and checked the frame charges from his bergen. Then he disappeared to the side of the tanks facing the sea, and I heard the clunks as the frame charges went onto the tank, held in place by magnets. I opened the lids of the obies and fed the safety fuse over the exposed mixture in each of the boxes. They were now ready to party. Hubba Hubba was looking over his shoulder as he moved slowly backwards towards me, unreeling a spool of fuse wire as he went. This was now connected to one of the frame charges via two detonators. He went back and unreeled the fuse from the second charge. I checked the lines in the connector to ensure they were secure before cutting a metre length of ridged fuse instantaneous and placing it in the last free hole. This was the length that went to the timer unit. I opened the top of the timer unit and connected the flash debt and the timer to the device. I held up my hand and showed the boys the wooden box. They got up and left for the cut in the fence line. I knelt down by the fuse instantaneous and fed it into the small aluminium tube, making sure the fuse end couldn't get any further inside. Then I taped the whole lot in place. To arm the device, I turned the parkway dial to thirty. Then I gave it another one or two minutes for luck. I let go of the dial and could hear the ticking as the spring began to unwind. I'd tested this unit over and over again, and give or take five seconds, it was always on time over the half hour. The panel pin that was attached flat to the dial had maybe an inch and a half to travel before connecting with its vertical twin. All that remained was for me to take off the rubber wedge and replace the wooden lid on the timer unit so no dirt could find its way between the two pins. Then I joined the others. We made our way to the cut in the fence line and Lotfi pulled out an alloy caving ladder from his bergen and unrolled it in the sand. Made from two lengths of steel cable with alloy tube rungs in between, the whole thing was about nine inches wide and fifteen feet long. He brought out two poles we'd picked up at a hardware store and taped them together to make one long pole. Then he used it to lift the large steel hook that was attached to one end of the wire ladder and eased it over the top of the wall. We were ready to go. I checked Tracer. With luck, just over twenty-two minutes left before the tanks got the good news. Hubba Hubba started to climb, with me steadying the waving ladder under him. He disappeared over the top of the wall. Then came the slow, metallic creak of bolts being gently prized open as Lotfi retrieved and rolled up the ladder before stashing it back in his bergen. The door in the wall opened, and I moved through into a small courtyard. Lotfi followed, and Hubba Hubba closed the door behind us, bolting it shut, so that if we screwed the job up and Zerauda was able to do a runner, it'd take a while for him to escape. Once they'd got their bergens back on, I was going to lead. I wanted to be in control of my own destiny inside this cage. Pulling out my Makarov, I followed the building around to the right. I couldn't see anything, but I knew from the satellite pictures that the floor of the courtyard was paved with large tiles in bold blue North African patterns. We rounded a corner. Maybe four metres in front of me, light spilled from a set of doors onto a wrought-iron garden set. I heard faint, intermittent laughter ahead. I eased off my bergen, got down onto my knees, and crawled to within a couple of feet of the French windows. Suddenly I could hear guitars and cymbals. I smiled when I recognised Pink Floyd. I lay down and craned my neck until I could see what was happening beyond the glass. 
I wished that I hadn't. Zeralda was naked and covered in either oil or sweat. I couldn't make out which. His fat body was wobbling about as he wrestled on a big circular bed. In the blue corner was a frightened boy who couldn't have been more than about fourteen. In all, there were three boys in the room, in different states of undress, all looking scared, as if starting to realise what they'd let themselves in for. Sitting in a chair, smiling and smoking as he watched the one-sided bout on the bed, was an adult, in his thirties maybe, still clothed in jeans and white shirt, but with bare feet. I walked back to the others. He's in there, with another man and three boys. There was a collective Arabic mutter of disapproval. I'll do it, said Hubba Hubba. Let me kill him. But Lotfi wasn't going to let that happen. No, we have our tasks. And remember, I said, we kill just the target, okay? No one else. Lotfi said he'd lead, as the colour of my eyes and skin could be a problem. I caught his shoulder. Don't forget, if there's a drama... He finished my sentence. No headshots. Trazer told me there was four minutes left on the parkway timer. I undid the top flap of my bergen and dug out the rubber gloves. Hubba Hubba picked up a wrought iron chair and hurled it against the doors. The noise of smashing glass was followed by startled screams from inside and then by even louder screams of aggression as the two of them kicked out the remaining glass and pushed their way through. A split second later, the loud crump of the devices made me duck instinctively as what looked like sheet lightning filled the sky. There was a renewed frenzy inside, more furniture being hurled about, and the screams became wails. All at once the boys' cries ceased as if a...